Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. As we get into scripture today, let's just kind of bring you up to speed. Moses is leading about half a million people uh, through the wilderness, uh, and it's basically a mobile city. It's a large mobile city with lots of problems to manage and complaints to answer. A lot of uh, politicians have a hard time just managing even small towns that are stationary. Can you imagine uh, being a politician or a leader over a mobile city where you're moving all the time, you're setting up camp and then moving on? Uh, lots of complaints to answer. We've already gone over some of the complaints. There's no food. There's no water. God provides answers to these solutions, but that doesn't mean uh, answers to these problems. It doesn't mean that all of the problems are gone. And like many of us, Moses was really struggling with developing leaders and delegate, delegating responsibility. And, in, you know, as I'm preparing for this message, I realize that I am really full, uh, you know, I really pastor a church full of leaders, which is a great privilege. A lot of you are great leaders and lead many people in wherever, wherever you're at in your position. Um, but it can also be like herding cats. You know, leaders uh, have their own way of doing things. And so leading leaders is a real challenge and developing leaders is a real challenge. And this is where Moses finds himself trying to lead leaders and delegate responsibility. Now, Moses was the one who delivered God's people uh, out of the Egyptians' slavery. And Moses, really, it was just pretty much him on his own. And he asked God for some help, and he gave him Aaron. And Aaron was just the mouthpiece, though. It was still Moses who was definitely the undisputed leader of Israel. But God never meant for Moses to do it on his own forever. And so God sent Jethro one of the little-known people in the Bible, but a very important story we have here in Exodus chapter 18. You know, we've been covering multiple chapters throughout the last few weeks, but today we will just be in one chapter, uh, 18. So the first point, first, let's go to the scriptures first, and then I'll get to my first point. Verse 7 of chapter 18, it says this, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Uh, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each, each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in every way and how the Lord had delivered them. Verse 9. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Verse 12, And Moses' father-in-law brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, Moses' father-in-law before God. Today, we're going to have three leadership lessons from Exodus 18, and the first leadership lesson is wise leaders rejoice with others. 
Now, today in the room, a lot of you in leadership are in leadership because of positional authority. That means that you have a certain rank or position in your organization that gives you authority. But here we see an example, and in the church we see a greater example of relational authority, right? I mean, people come to church and they sit under the ministry of the pastor because of relationship, right? I mean, there is a title there as well, but you certainly can go anywhere else you want, right? Milton Friedman, a great economist in the 70s and 80s, said people vote with their feet, People vote with their feet. If you don't like what I'm doing, you certainly could go somewhere else. If you don't like the mission of the church, you could go somewhere else. Nobody's keeping you here. And then when you have leaders in preschool and children's ministry and ushering and greeting, when you're responding to that leadership, that's from a relational perspective. All volunteer ministries or organizations work off relational uh, leadership. And that's really what we're talking a lot about today. Positional authority um, it, it, while it can be a powerful tool, right, it's never as powerful as relational authority, right? I mean, you might, you might be a colonel, let's say, for example, and you're over uh, 150 men and women, right? But you're just leading from positional authority. Then, you know, you may, they may fall in line because of that, because of that rank that you hold over them, but getting people to follow you based on relationship because you care about them, they're going to go a lot further for you than they would off positional authority. And that's true in every area of leadership. Relational authority always trumps positional. And so we should always be striving for that. You can't have a close personal relationship with every single person you work with or serve with, but you can show them that you care and that you're there for them and gain that trust with them. So here we have Moses uh, and his father-in-law, and they have a great relationship. Actually, Moses' kids had been spending a lot of time with Jethro, and, and now he comes back and he tells Jethro all, of, all that God had done in Egypt. And what's Jethro do? He's not jealous, right? He's not like, who is this kid? Think he is. He sees the half million people behind Moses, and he rejoices with Israel in the victory over Pharaoh. Joe he is happy. He rejoices with others. Now, I've seen this even in our community. Somebody gets a promotion, and uh, that means somebody else doesn't get that promotion, and there's instantly jealousy, right? There's jealousy. Well, I don't know why so-and-so got promoted. They didn't deserve it. I actually deserved it. We're not rejoicing with others. We're actually jealous. We're starting, we're starting to gossip about them and backbite them. And, and here, Jethro, does, this is not his reaction at all. His reaction is that of rejoicing with Moses. Godly leaders rejoice in the blessings of others. They rejoice. They're not jealous. They, just, they, they can just celebrate with somebody else. You know, uh, it kind of goes both ways. I love to rejoice in people's blessings. You know, when Dawn came up a couple weeks ago and gave all those testimonies of her kids getting saved and, and becoming Christians and, and the other blessings in her life. And when we hear stories of people uh, being healed of cancer and babies, uh, you know, defeating what seems like insurmountable odds for survival, we're super excited and we rejoice with them. 
we rejoice with them because that ought to be our reaction. Even if we have personally been passed over for promotion, even if, if our children aren't serving the Lord, even if we have lost children before birth, even if that's the case, we should, uh, we should rejoice with those who rejoice. But we also mourn with those who mourn. You know, there, you know, as a pastor, I've received lots of advice over the years from some people who are in a position to give me advice. We'll talk more about that later. And other people who probably ought not to be giving me advice. But uh, one great pastor I really respected, his, his methodology to pastoring was he never got close with anyone in his congregation. That was a rule for him. He never became friends or hung out with them or, you know, socialized with them. Every time he was with church people, he was in a jacket. He was always professional. That's not your pastor's approach, you know. And uh, I understand why his approach was that, was that, because there's a couple reasons. Number one, if you get to know me too much, you're going to realize I'm just a dude, <laughs> just like you. And that whole, mis- that whole illusion that so many pastors work so hard to preserve that their life is perfect and and uh, that they've got it all figured out, and they know the gospel, and they're living it out every single day, that, that illusion starts to lose its luster. That's one reason that I'm sure a lot of pastors do it. Another reason is, is because when we rejoice with those who rejoice, we also must mourn with those who mourn. And when you celebrate, I'm going to be right there celebrating with you. And when you are mourning, I'm going to be right there crying with you. When your dad has cancer, when, you're, when you ask me to pray for someone, I want you to know that I pray as that was my mother. That was my brother. That was my sister. Because that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. And <clears throat> to protect myself to protect, and for us to protect ourselves at the expense of really going through that with somebody else. It's, it's not really the gospel. It's not the gospel example. It's not the example of Jesus who looked over Jerusalem in a city full of lost people and wept. He cried over his friend Lazarus who was in the tomb dead, right? And he called him out. We got to go through life together. And when we're in leadership, and what I say a few weeks ago, every one of you is called to be in leadership. Every single one of you is called to be a leader. Nobody comes into the kingdom of God, and God's only expectation of you is to sit there for the next 50 years until Jesus comes back. That's not the expectation. We, lo- we would love that to be the expectation. All right? we, we like that idea. And it's the only place, church, again, is the only place where we really are comfortable with that. I don't care if I ever make it past the rank of private. You know, if we have somebody, if we know somebody who's been an E4 for seven years or eight years, what do we, they're a dirtbag, right? They're, they're just like, they don't want to do anything. They have no ambition. They don't want to promote up, right? Eight, nine years, you know, they're, they're ready to get high year tenure at senior airmen. That's not good, right? We just we don't have respect for that. But in the church, it's just totally cool to never mature, to never grow up and to be a leader, but just to be a follower the whole time. That's not, that's not God's plan for you. It's to be a leader. And so that's why this message today is so important, because God is calling each one of us to be a leader. And part of being a leader is rejoicing with others and weeping with others. But here we're focusing more on the rejoicing as Jethro praised God and gave thanks to God for blessing Israel. So much so that he offers his own offering for their victory. He wasn't even there. 
He didn't even see any of the signs or wonders. He didn't see the Red Sea split. He didn't see the 10 things that Moses went through, but he rejoiced anyway because he didn't have to see it. He didn't have to personally experience it. That says a lot about Jethro. It says a lot about his faith and his trust in the Lord and his, his, his respect for Moses and Israel. Because he offers a sacrifice. Now, we talked a lot about in these last few weeks about if God split the, if split the sea, we'd believe, right? If he fed, if he rained bread, we'd believe. But the Bible tells us even in the New Testament, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Amen. Blessed are those who put their faith in the Lord and trust in him. And here's Jethro showing us that. He didn't see any of these things, but he trusts the Lord. He doesn't get cynical. He doesn't say, really? He split the sea? Are you sure it just wasn't windy? Or did you walk across on the rocks, right? Bread from heaven, seriously? You sure it just wasn't mushrooms or something, you know? No, he trusts and offers a sacrifice. First Thessalonians 5.16 says this. You want to memorize a verse? Here's one to remember. Rejoice always. That's it. That's the whole thing, Right? Some of you say, I cannot memorize scripture. You can remember this one, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Give thanks. Cynicism is a curse for me. You know, I've been in the church a long time, and I've seen things up and down. I've seen revival movements. I've seen real manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and I've seen man-made manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I've seen them both. And unfortunately, I, I, I usually give way to those who have abused the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I become cynical about miracles and signs and wonders, and even maybe even tongues from time to time, and words and messages in tongues. And so, yeah, that's something I battle with, because when you've seen it abused, and, and uh, you, you just kind of get a little more skeptical of it. But I have to fight that, and I have to rejoice as, as Jethro did in the miracles and the signs and wonders that God gives today and rejoice always. Turn with me to Exodus 8, 13. Now, you know, these sermons feel a lot like Bible studies in a lot of ways when I, as I think about it, but that's exactly what we're doing. Um, just to reemphasize, why are we going through the whole Bible is because nobody does this anymore, <laughs> right? B- biblical literacy is at an all-time low, and so we're going through the Word together uh, opening it up and just expounding upon what God's word says. Now, it's not as exciting as a series that brings in contemporary issues sometimes, but as we're seeing as we go through scripture, a lot of what's even in the Old Testament as we go through it methodically is directly relational, uh, directly relates to what's going on in our lives today. It's just you got to look just a little harder, that's all. So here we go to verse 13. The day Moses sat to judge the people... And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that all he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And why do the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. That's verse 15. Let's just take a break here for a second. Moses says that the people are coming to inquire of him uh, about God and what, what does God say about this or that? Aren't you glad that today we have direct access to God? 
that I, I am super glad that as a pastor, I don't have to, I don't, you don't have to stand around me for, you know, 16 hours a day waiting for me to intercede on your behalf, but you have direct access to God. What a beautiful, marvelous gift we have that Moses and the people of Israel never enjoyed. They might have seen the Red Sea split. They might have seen it rain bread, but they didn't have direct access to God like we do. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Verse 16, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them, I, I make them known the statutes of God and the laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with, with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So a second lesson of leadership that we can learn is that wise leaders challenge others. Challenge others. Now, I do my very best to be an encouraging pastor, but I find myself often challenging more than encouraging. And I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, but I, it is also a, an area that I need to improve on, the encouragement part. But we need people in our lives who are challenging us. Not just affirming us, but challenging us. And confronting Moses was risky. Now, when we're in leadership, we find it very easy to confront those that are beneath us, whether positionally or relationally, right? We have no problems correcting our children relationally. We have no problems correcting subordinates positionally. But when it comes to correcting or bringing uh, uh, constructive criticism to somebody who either outranks us or is on a, a higher on the social chain, we're still using um, um, Z, not do, right, in the German language, right? We're, not, we're, we're still using the formal with them. Uh, when we bring that up to them, we would bring correction to them. It can be intimidating, right? How do we approach that? How do we, how do we do that? And that's exactly where Jethro is. This is the leader of half a million people. This is the person who led them out of captivity and, and, and with his arm and his hand saw these many miracles, God worked through him, these many miracles in Egypt and the, de the defeat of the Malachites, right? All this happened through Moses and Jethro's just some priest with a few people, Right? He's definitely not in a position to confront him. But he knew, he knew that what he had to say, Moses needed to hear. Even though Moses was God's prophet and the leader of Israel, he needed some help. He needed to see what God was going to say through Jethro. This is important, that we as people understand that God uses men. Men and women. You know, when I say the word men, I mean men and women, mankind. God uses people. And, and, and we're like, well, God, if you're going to rebuke me, if you're going to correct me, just show me the way, God. Show me the way, Lord. Give me a sign. And he sends somebody into your life to tell you what you don't want to hear. And what do you do? <laughs> who does that person think they are? Right? Who, who gave them the right? Who do... What? Who do you think you are? He has no business. She has no business. That's, that's my personal business. That's not, that's, you know, that's how we get, right? 
And you're like, well, if God would just show me, God is showing you. But the thing is, all through history, even, even leading people through the Red Sea, God could have just done it. Did he need Moses? No, but he used Moses. And now here he is using Jethro to speak into Moses' life. God uses men. He uses people, right, to speak harsh, harsh truths sometimes into our lives. Not things we want to hear, but things that sometimes we need to hear. And as pastor, this is why I say the confrontation part is probably, and, and I think it fits my position because that's my job And that was the job of prophets of old in the Old Testament. Confrontation, challenging, often giving a word that people don't want to hear, right? I get a lot of amens on the things that, you know, people like to hear. But when it comes to some things that I say, it's crickets out there. And I know that, right? And that's okay. That's okay, because it's not easy to talk about it. When, I, when we talk about finances, every time I talk about the offering, I, I mean, I don't like that, right? Because the church has a reputation for being money grubbers. But the truth is, your financial blessing lies in your generosity. And if I came up here and said anything else, I'd be lying to you and cheating you, cheating you. And I don't want to do that, right? And so sometimes, believe me, it goes beyond the offering. I do in-depth teaching about giving, and I give you plenty of warning right? That it's going to happen. And a lot of you heed that warning and don't come, but I think you should anyway. Because if you're only coming to church to hear that, which you want to hear or that, which affirms you, you're not growing. You know, I was just talking to Dan before practice, uh, before band practice and talking about playing the drums. And sometimes praise and worship music does not challenge you as a drummer, right? So you've got to play something else right? You've got to play, you know, you got to play some Rush, right? Or maybe some Chicago or something with a great drummer, right? To challenge your skills, right? So you can be a better praise and worship player. See, if we come to church and only hear what affirms us or what, what, what we want to hear, then we're not growing. Because if we're going to be better at anything, we have to challenge ourselves and, and, and commit ourselves to grow. Confrontation's not easy or pleasant, but sometimes necessary to the mission of God. If the mission of God's going to go forward, we have to be challenging one another. And it always doesn't have to come from the pulpit. I know growth groups have finally become growth groups when people in the group are actually challenging one another. That's how you know you've reached the pinnacle of what a growth group should be, right? When members are confronting one another, right? That's how you know. That's how you know. They're confronting one another. They're encouraging one another. They're challenging one another. That's when a group has made it. Wise and godly counsel comes at the right time through the right people in the right way. If you're wondering whether or not God is speaking to you like he spoke to Jethro to maybe bring correction into somebody's life, these are questions you should ask. Is this the right time? Am I the right person? Do I have specific knowledge into what I am addressing? And how can I do this in the right way? For me, the right way as as softly and as nicely as I can without compromising the truth, right? So I'm not going to just come up and just boom, 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 but I'm going to address it in the nicest way I can without lessening the offense or what I'm correcting or what I'm encouraging. That's what's important. Now, the right people thing, that's a real trick, right? Because, you know, when, especially if we're going up the chain with the correction, how do I know I'm the right person, 
Well, you have direct knowledge. You have to have direct knowledge, right? You just can't hear it through the grapevine, right? There's been times where I've had to confront people with their feeds on Facebook, right? Yeah, that's kind of a weird thing, right? Because the church definitely commands, and this usually revolves around partying uh, too hard at fest or something like that, right? Or sometimes it's an unbiblical position on something else, but most of the time it's this. And, you know, is that direct knowledge? Yeah, pretty much, because I have the feed, right? And you shouldn't, you know, so then I'm like, okay, hey, did you get wasted like two weeks ago? You're like a growth group leader. You probably shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, we're talking about it. And we work it out. But you have to have direct knowledge, right? So like somebody in your chain has, you know, you know somebody's having a problem, then, then you have, you're the right person. But you also have to consider how to bring it up. How do I address it? Especially if they outrank you or they're in a relational position above you, you have to handle that very carefully. But it doesn't mean you should just abdicate your responsibility. Now, in the church, this is super important. And it, it definitely depends on both people loving and serving Jesus. When leaders start thinking that they are above the people they serve, you got huge problems. Because then they are going to instantly rebuke everything you say. When you, now that doesn't mean that if you came to me after service today and you're like, man, I really appreciate that service. I've been meaning to talk to you about something. <laughs> and we go into my office and we talk and you rebuke. It doesn't mean, now, it doesn't mean that I'm just going to be like, yes, thank you. Thank you. You are so right. Because oftentimes, uh, I'm growing in this, but oftentimes what I, I am like you. At, at first, I'll push that back. I'll push back against that. But I will consider it and I will pray about it. And most often, if I have pushed back and I am wrong, I will come to you and personally apologize and thank you for your critique. Now, this happened a lot with her dad who was my father-in-law, who God used extensively to form me and help me grow up in the Lord. A lot of correction, a lot of things, you know, that needed correction because I was an idiot and he needed to bring it around. And uh, I would always kind of push back at first, but as I would pray and seek the Lord, I would come to him and say, you know what, you were absolutely right. I'm sorry. Let me make this right. Now, in an ideal world, we would all just open that criticism up. But we can never think we're above it, all right? Especially in the church. We're here to encourage one another. Proverbs says, 27, 17, a lot of you know this verse, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Do you know when you're sharpening iron, you're removing material? You're removing material to make the edge sharp. If you've ever sharpened a knife, you know that as well, right? I sharpen my kitchen knives constantly, and as soon as I sharpen them, I wipe them off because there's little specks of metal on the blade still, and I wipe that off because it's a rough process. It's not an easy process, and when iron sharpens iron, if we really believe that, then we have to be willing to go through the pain of that, the pain on both sides. The thing, the illusion is confrontation is easy. Anybody who's ever had to confront anybody knows that's not true. Confrontation is tough, but God uses us to challenge and correct and encourage others to help them grow in their faith. Iron sharpens iron. Then we come to the end of chapter 18, verse 24 through 27. Moses, verse 24, listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but 
any matter, any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Jethro came, served his purpose, brought the word that Moses needed to hear, and then he left him to lead. He left him to, to do it. Moses was receptive. Wise leaders learn to share their burdens with others. Wise leaders learn to share their burdens with others. Moses chose humble trustworthy men of good character who feared God and hated bribes. Moses chose good men to lead, good people to lead. This is important. And here at SMCC, this vetting process is expedited, right? You have to trust me. You're coming here from like some awesome church in the States. I mean, a church you loved. It was huge. It had everything. You just loved it. And you came to Germany and you got me, right? And I, I know it's, I, it's an acquired thing, right? It takes time. Like, he's weird. Yeah, I'm weird, right? But I love Jesus, right? And this speed of trust has to happen in both directions. I don't have a lot of time to figure out a lot about you either, right? Because you come, usually this is the cycle. People come, they spend about their first three months living in a hotel, traveling Europe. Sometimes that gets stretched out to six months, right? Your first half a year here. You're not even looking for a church. You're like, wow, there's a castle here. Before you leave, you're like, oh, another castle, right? I mean, that's the way it is. Then you start looking for a church. Then you come get settled. You're trying out all the churches. That process can take a couple, maybe another month or two, all right? Before you know it, you're almost at a year. Then you decided on SMCC, and then I'm getting to know you. You're getting to know me. Then you've decided to make it your church home. Then you finally get to serve. If by two years, I, you know, I haven't figured it out and invited you into leadership, there, there's probably a good reason for that. But I mean, then even then, I only got you for one more year here, typically, right? And then you're gone. Now, some of, some of you have been here much longer. Like, we've been benefited from having the just much, much longer. Scott, you've been here a lot longer. Danica, you know, a lot of people, because they're teachers or they've extended in a lot of ways, we, I mean, what a blessing. We're so thankful for that. Because it definitely eases that transitional burden of every three years developing leadership. We're never done with it. But we need to move forward together in that. You've got to learn to trust me, that I love you, that I care about you, that I'm your pastor, and I, I want what's best for you. But I also have to learn to trust you and put, put you into leadership. But here's what we're looking for. Humble people, trustworthy people, people who have good character and who fear God. That's what we're looking for. Now, in churches today, not only our church, but many churches, the people who meet these requirements are really dropping, dropping like crazy, right? People who are truly engaged, people who really fear God, people who are humble and trustworthy and of good character. It's slipping and slipping and slipping. And finding good leaders is becoming very, very difficult. And then sometimes you do have people who have the potential to be good leaders, but they don't want to be leaders, that's another problem. But wise senior leaders prayerfully and biblically choose qualified men and women to lead others. Every single growth group leader here is handpicked, right? These are people who we trust with our thousands. Right? We don't have thousands, but these are people who we trust basically as assistant pastors of groups of a dozen people. 
people who will care for you, people who will pray for you, people who are concerned and praying for your spiritual development. That's our growth group leaders. Above them is our advisory council, and all of them are growth group leaders as well, right? These are the people who decide on big financial decisions and hold me accountable financially, right? Then there's ministry leaders and, and other, so on and so on down the chain, right? Some of you have been tasked with training other people. That's a form of leadership as well. But we are always looking for qualified people to be leaders. And I want you to know that the expectation here is that you become a leader. In many churches in the United States with thousands of people, there's never an expectation that you be a leader, right? Like, there's just not. I've been in those churches. It's like, you know, there's just... They're not training up leaders. Here, the entire idea is that you become a leader, right? That you lead growth groups yourselves, that you lead ministries yourselves, that you take on responsibility, that you develop other leaders as well, because true leaders develop other leaders. And here's the thing about Moses. Moses, God used him solo for a long time. God has done great things here at SMCC as well, right? Stacy and I came here with nothing. We didn't know anyone. God has planted a church through us, and this is the church today, right? It's pretty awesome, actually, when I was here today thinking about it. I think about how awesome God is. But just because God used us in that doesn't mean he's only always going to use us, right? You know what I'm saying? Now God has brought a team. He's brought Jordan and Shay, right? He's brought the advisory council. He's brought Mary and Kelly on as youth leaders, Right? He's brought people around us to help us. And here's, this is the lesson Moses needed. God used him in a mighty way to do something awesome. This church is awesome. And Stacy and I and the founders of the church, the families that helped to start the church will always have that. But that doesn't mean that that's all God is ever going to use. Hello? You know, sometimes God will do things much to our dismay with the exclusion of us, right? The youth group is growing with no with virtually no input of your pastor, right? Mary, Kelly, Jordan, Shea are growing that ministry to what it is, right? And I'm there to support them and help them, but I don't sit in in those meetings. They're growing that. And that's awesome because that's leadership. That's them taking ownership of that and moving the student ministry forward. But delegation is always best done. We see this with Moses and Jethro as well. It's always best done with guideposts, right? Stay in your lane, right? Creating those lanes. And that's what Moses did. He said, look at these small things you can handle. Here's what you can handle. And I'm sure there was like a little list. Okay, you can handle this, this, and this. But when two, you know, when there's big, big problems, you bring that stuff to me, okay? Or you bring it up the chain of command. You handle that. Now, this all seems like second nature to us, but you have to remember when Israel came, there was none of this. Pharaoh was God. What he said went. There was no, you know, that's it. That's all they knew. And then they come out of this, and now leadership is being established. And when they, when they have problems, all these little disputes that are just stupid can be settled, right? Just really easy. And then the big things Moses is handling. But guideposts when we delegate is important. And some people will interpret that as micromanagement. So what? So what? You set the guideposts. This is your lane. This is what you can do. And this is where you have freedom on this side and this side. That's really, really important. You can't let people run around the church doing whatever they want. <laughs> you just can't, right? 
You just can't. I've seen that go sideways really, really fast, right? And so there has to be some guideposts. There has to be some restrictions. There has to be some accountability. We are dependent on one another as the body of Christ. We are dependent on one another. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there's a varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for common good. Each one of you has a part to play in the family. If you are not volunteering, if you are not leading, you are a dead part of our body. Right? Like frostbite toe. Right? It's all black, and it's about ready to fall off. Right? Have you ever really, like one time I was uh, at the gym. Yes, I used to go to the gym. <laughs> right? Not recently, but yes. And I was, had the 45 plate, and I put it on the rack, and my thumb got caught as I slid the plate into another 45 plate, and instantly blood formed under my nail and started squirting out of my nail, right? And of course, this nail was dead, right? I mean, it started turning black, it was gross, and eventually, it, it's completely normal now, right? But, and it fell off, right? It was a dead part of my body, and it fell off. See, dead parts of the body aren't good to the body. They just weigh the body down. They're just unnecessary resources, you know? Or they're just absorbing things. It's never been God's intention that you be a dead part of the body. You are a living part of the body. If you draw breath, God has a purpose for you. Here and in the body of Christ, wherever you find yourself, God has a purpose for you. Not only here, but outside the walls as well. We had a wonderful discussion in men's ministry yesterday about witnessing and sharing our faith. God has a purpose for us inside the church with our brothers in Christ, and he has a purpose for us outside the church with our brothers and sisters in Adam. He has a purpose for our lives. And it's not just to occupy space, and it's not just to be financially blessed and have great jobs and continue to get promoted. You know, some people, we think everything God gives us is for us. You know, sometimes it's to share. Sometimes it's for the ministry of sharing and giving and generosity. You know, that's the, that's the truth. God has created us to be servants. And we are interdependent on one another. And when one of you isn't doing your job in the church, that means somebody else is doing it. 14% statistics show 14% of the church is doing all of the work. What? That's stupid. That's dumb. Is it really that hard to be a hostess? Katie, is that hard? No, you didn't, but is it hard? <laughs> it's not hard. You are a hostess, right? It's not hard. She's, she's she usually, not this morning, she sent her husband. She's pregnant. She's got an excuse, right? She sends her husband, and today Nick makes the coffee, and he gets it ready. And you know what? He's got a smile on his face. And you have a smile on your face when you come, and there's coffee here. That's ministry, right? Many of you have smiles on your faces today because your preschoolers are downstairs. And they're learning about Jesus, but they're not with you. It's a win-win. <laughs> it's a win-win, right? And you're happy for that. There's so, I think we had 25 kids in kids' church a week ago. That's crazy. And they're learning about Jesus, but they're not in here. That's a win, right? It's ministry, and everybody has a role to play in ministry. Not everybody can preach. Not everybody can play in the band. But there is something you can do. And if you've made Calvary, if, I almost said Calvary Temple. I preached there so long. If you've made SMCC your home, then get involved somewhere, right? And then 
God willing, by his grace, by the time you leave, you'll be in a leadership position and ready to lead others. Now, how do you do this? What's the next step for you? The first thing is to be involved. If you're not involved yet, go to the information table after service and grab a volunteer information form. On that form, you put your name and what you, what you feel like God's called you to do and what you want to do. Because these things are not mutually exclusive. Some people think God only calls you to things you don't want to do. That's not true, right? We want, you, we want to find your fit. Now, we've got holes, but we're not really concerned with the holes we have as much as finding a place for you to exercise your gifts, right? And sometimes we've started ministries because people have gifts that we didn't have a ministry for. Megan Perry, she's not here today, but she has a particular calling and burden for adopt. She's an adoptive family. They're an adoptive family to support adoption. And so she started an adoption meeting that meets here, right? And she's the leader. And all I have to do is give her a key, right? But it's a ministry that didn't exist that exists now. When she leaves, if there's not somebody here to take it, we won't have that ministry anymore, right? But we're all about facilitating what God's called you to do. I want you to know that. And you won't just throw you into it. We'll train you. Okay, and we'll, you'll, you'll learn how to do it. All right, let's conclude. Let's finish this up. Sometimes we need a wake-up call. Somebody say amen. amen. Sometimes we need somebody to speak something into our lives we don't want to hear so that we can grow. And sometimes God will call us to give a wake-up call to someone else. Some of you are elbowing your spouse. It's not always your spouse that God's calling you to give a wake-up call to. It could be someone else. It's not always easy to hear criticism or correction, but it's essential for our growth, and we need to understand that. So when criticism and, and really constructive criticism comes, we can respond with a kind heart and receive it. It's not always easy to confront others, and you may be timid to do so, but I want to encourage you that this is also necessary for someone else's growth, all right? A lot of times what people like to do is when it comes time to confront somebody is they like to come talk to me and they want me to confront the person or they talk to my wife and they want them to confront me. <laughs> we laugh. This should never happen. My wife, the pastor's wife, this, is, this job sucks sometimes because she has to hear people badmouth me. And believe it or not, she loves me. And she respects me. And this is hard. I want you to know that my door is always open. And if you have a problem with me and you think you're going to soften the blow by going through my wife, you're not. You're just hurting her. Just come straight to me. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to rebuke you. I'm not going to kick you out of my office. First thing I'm going to say is I'm sorry. I'm going to say I'm sorry, and we're going to work through it together. But never, never, whether it's this church or another church, man, don't do that. Don't go through that pastor's wife, you know, and complain to, about, to her about her husband. You know, or vice versa, if it's the pastor's husband, right, you have a female pastor, don't, don't use that person as a buffer, but just go straight to them. Confronting others isn't always easy, but necessary. Let us be like Jethro. Let us be leaders both ways. Right? Jethro was a leader in his own right, but he was also helping another leader. And we have to understand that God provides leaders, people in our lives who will confront us and challenge us and encourage us, but help us to be better.
And whether we like it or not, he uses people. He uses people. How many of you have ever had a horrible leader in your life, like at work or maybe even in the church, who you, I've had, I've worked for pastors that I think, you know, had a demon or something. I don't know. But (laughs) I learned so much from them about what, not only some things what to do, but some things what not to do, right? God uses those experiences as well. As much as we hate it, he uses those things. Remember, God is in control. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.